What is up, internets? And welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of Self-Defense from All Angles Podcast. This is another episode where I had to break it up into two pieces. On this episode, we have my friend, Dr. Tamyard McCracken. She goes over a an addition she's adding into the violence model. So for her, it's not just social versus asocial. There's also a hybrid version of both of them. And in this episode, we talk about that model and where it applies and also how her company 500 Rising has started. This first part of the episode is awesome. But as you'll hear at the end of the episode where there isn't any promo train, I quickly realized it was going to become a two-parter because I barely even scratched the surface of the questions that I wanted to ask Tammy. So listen to part one. I'm going to drop both of these at the same time. So you can listen to part one and then immediately jump to part two. That way you don't forget the episode exists. And don't forget, if you want to bring me in for a seminar or a talk with your company or your conference or your martial arts school, just get a hold of me at www.randykinglive.com. Let's get to the episode. What is up, internets? Welcome to Self-Defense from All Angles, episode 11, season two, or somewhere in season two. Uh, I know this isn't coming out on the weekly schedule, I promise. This has been one a month. Things just crazy. I'm working on the book. First draft is done, everybody. Like, I'm actually working on the book, not I'm writing a book, wink, like I've been doing the work. So hopefully September, I think you're going to get it in your hands if you're looking for that. Today on the show, we have a good friend of mine. And we're breaking the rule of self-defense from all angles, which is talking to people in the field that aren't experts in the field by bringing on Tammy Yard McCracken, who is an expert in the field in so many ways above so many other people. Why I brought Tammy on the show, why we're breaking the rule of the show is because I have just recently taken Tammy's level one 500 rising course. And if you've talked to me in public, you know how much I love this course. Now, I knew I was going to like it because I'm a fan of Tammy, but it literally blew me away as a student, as an instructor, as an instructor's wealth and structure and the way it was built. And one of the things I found really unique about the program is an addition to the model of violence that we use for predicting violence. She has tacked on a new piece that is specific to women's self-defense. So I really wanted to just do a whole episode on what she calls hybrid violence, where it fits, why it fits, and why you probably should be teaching it. So Tammy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me and breaking the rule. <laughs> well, this, so this show has been very fun because it's the show I think people need because just hearing experts talk in an echo chamber isn't helping, but it's also yeah. the show that has most insulted my friends because I'm not bringing them on the show. So it's been a very, very unique experience. I think it's a brilliant idea. Uh, it's, you know, it's been working so far. I think it's getting it's getting the traction I wanted. So that's good. Tammy, you are the uh, founder of 500 Rising. So let's just start there. What is 500 Rising and what started this whole journey for you? So the short version of this is it's its purpose organizationally is to do a, a couple of different things. One, initially to create a training environment for people who want to teach and or are teaching self-defense targeting women and or personal protection targeting women. 
and to fill the gaps. That was my initial thinking in developing the curriculum is to fill the gaps and all the stuff that there's a bunch of great stuff out there training. You and I have both been through training, you know, separate trainings that we've been in, I think personally, and, and, and a bunch of really good stuff out there. And as I started talking over time and awareness that built up for me and talking to other women who were training and teaching, it was like, oh, but there's these chunks missing. Like, when are we going to talk about this? And when is this going to be talked about like in other instructor training programs? Um, and the answer was never. So, and not because it was a conscious, like, we're not going to talk about that. It just wasn't present. Right. So, and then I had a moment, I had a rant <laughs> and thankfully a blog, nobody really read um, except a couple of good friends of mine and was you know, going off on, you know, been around many decades at this point in time. And I've seen like social justice for lack of better terms, that's the current term, right? Social justice um, trends come and go. And, you know, they peak and they do a little bit and then they fade off and people move on to the next one. And the hashtag me too thing was somebody gave a big speech and I like the speaker. So I was like, oh, I want to go pick up on it. Like after, you know, it's on YouTube or whatever. And they talked about it from the standpoint of like, me too is going to change the world. Like that's it. All the things we want to done and change all of the, you know, the stats on domestic violence, rape, et cetera, et cetera. It's all, all fixed with this. And, and of course I'm overstating, but that was kind of the message. I was like, because, because you know, if you've got the kind of platform that this person had, it's like, oh, there's so much more that they could have done in that brief amount of time they had to speak. You know, it's like, it's that instead of going a, a hashtag is going to change the world. It's beautiful thinking, but it's also wishful thinking. So, so I, anyway, I wrote this snarky little, I'm having a moment blog and a good friend of mine who's obviously on the founding board, because this is her fault, really. She's like, oh, this, yes, love the blog, love the post. Yes, all the things. Somebody should do something about this. Because I was like, give me 500 women that I can train and we'll get them out there and, you know, they'll train and teach other people. I'm like, yeah, it's a great idea. Somebody should do it. She's like, no, somebody should do it. As in you. I'm like, I have no bandwidth for this. I was just being an asshole fundamentally. So not, not a good reason to start anything. Um, but the more we talked about it, she was very persistent for those guys in the community here who know Ali DiRienzo. Um, she can be very persistent because she she's a marketing person. She gets things in the world, right? Trends in life. And so finally we were like, all right, let's see what happens. Built, so that created the first curriculum for what became level one. And that's instructor development. So that's the how we got started and we are evolving and um, as hopefully all organizations fundamentally do and we're evolving to um, our next phase is to really help create supportive material for people who've gone through the training who don't have much background which is actually a cool thing right they want to get involved and supporting them in delivering like um, end user products. So workshops, seminars, you know, to make it a little bit easier for people to just go out and then do it if they get excited about it. And, and, and then we're, we also have a longer term goal to develop some more asynchronous public facing stuff that people can just access for information. And um, so we're, we're currently using our social media for a little bit of that. Like every once in a while we put something up that's like a little educational soundbite. So 
Awesome. We'll do all the social media stuff at the end of the show, everybody. So stay to the end of the show so you can hear that. Uh, but if you're smart, you heard the name of the organization, you can probably figure it out. Uh, let's move into the whole the whole reason why I wanted you on the show. So I took the course and I loved it. And I said this during the course, which was it's the material isn't new to me, which and that's not a, a shot. It's just it's not stuff that we grew up. We come up from the same trunk, right? Our branches yes. come from the same trunk. So yeah. but that wasn't the thing that that was amazing. The thing that was amazing was where you shone the spotlight on the material. Like what parts of the material, like, okay, so for me, as you mentioned earlier, right, I try to be as open-minded and I try to, you know, get experience as much as I possibly can, but I'm still a dude and there's still things that are going to be blinders in my vision. And wow, did that course show me blinders, number one. Like, I was like, oh, I thought I was pretty good at this. I was medium at best. This, There's a lot of stuff that I wasn't paying attention to. So that was cool. But the thing that really stood out to me was hybrid violence. And I think I may have minimized it when we talked, when I introduced it as it's just for women. I think it applies across the board, but it is a, a very unique take. And I, I know some people here on the show are not going to agree with it because there's going to be some pushback, which you've experienced. Let me tell you your yep. experience, Tammy. You've definitely experienced this. <laughs> so Tammy, walk us through hybrid. To do that, I want to start a few steps back. So the idea or concept of hybrid evolved to, in essence, do what 500 Rising evolved to do, which is fill gaps. And there are, there are a couple of different models, taxonomies, whatever you want to use, um, about how we define human behavior from the purposes of study and research and, you know, nomenclature. So we reduce things down to like little labels so that we can have ease in communication. Otherwise, you know, to we're constantly describing an entire thought to make a point. So, you know, these little labels do the trick for us. And out of a kind of a social psychology or sociology perspective is where we get that social, a social distinction that, as you say, we came up out of the same trunk becomes the one of the key points of reference behaviorally. And then inside of that, then, you know, sometimes there's distinctions about predatory versus social violence. And, you know, I get, sometimes I get into the weeds um, or on language and it's just where I do stupid things in my brain. So the all of that make there's like there's a yes but for me like yeah but 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 right there's a there's a gap and there's a miss so dialing back we have in fact when I say we I'm talking about like you and I and people who play with that social social conversation are actually using already a hybridized concept of the words so what if you look at the raw actual definition of a social it means to like somebody who is not interested in social groups right. and is not interested in connection. A, a, a means absence of, right? So absence of social. How we tend to use it though is in the, because if you are, if you back up a second, if you are absolutely not interested in other human beings, at all, then you're probably living in a cave on a mountain, some right, you know, like so. Uh, we take that to the extreme. So we tend to use it a little bit more the way the term antisocial behavior is defined, but not a hundred percent because antisocial is anti, like I hate these things, I hate sure. 
social. I hate connections. I hate people. I hate, you know, what society's constructs are set around. And so when we say asocial, we kind of mean already a hybrid, a blend of those two things in the sense that we're talking about as I interact, as I look at another human being, I don't see you. There's a lack of empathy. I don't care. You're a toy. You're an object. You're a tool. I don't think about the fact that you have thoughts, feelings, cares, and ideas, which incidentally is, we make this even more weedy, it, it bleeds over into this um, psychopathology, which is the study of psychopathy, is when we talk about psychopathy, we're actually more talking about like pers- one of the terms or, or phrases within the definition is persistent antisocial deviance. So see how we're going back up then to these other terms, right? So, and then psychopathy, we look at as like a neuropsych disorder. So it's pathology and it's a deficit of emotional response. It is, it is a lack of empathy. It's poor behavioral control, right? So you see all of this is already like, yes, not clean. I want to interrupt you for two things. Number one, we're very familiar. I should have introduced you as Dr. Tamyard McCracken, everybody (laughs) for this level of, of explanation. And number two, I think what people forget is they want, people want these clean, hard science definitions for human behavior, which is a squishy, soft science at best. So uh, when we talk hybrid, I I love this uh, example because you're speaking about hybrid as all of this is hybrid talk because it's such a squishy topic. This isn't hard facts. This isn't, I drop this. This is the velocity that hits every single time. This is, eh, humans like the fuck around, right? So they're going to switch this up. That's going to change. Anyways, continue. Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, and, and thank you for pulling me off the ledge a little bit. Cause then I can get into all that stuff and people are like, what the fuck is she talking about? That's why I wanted to drop the old PhD in there. Just like, all right, people, just so you know, she didn't like read two books. This is kind of her whole study. So then because you know we came up inside and it often used is this social asocial model to describe predictors for violence and then cheat sheets for engagement de-escalation management right i mean fundamentally that's what it's for is how to be able to read certain cues what do those behavioral cues tell me about what may or may not be evolving and happening and what patterns of management and interaction are going to escalate this and what will de-escalate because we typically say that we i'm absolutely you know force teaming you into this because again we come out of similar dynamics it, we we tend to say, look, if you're if you use social engagement patterns, behavior dynamics to try and manage and de-escalate something that is actually evolving on an asocial thread, you're actually feeding it, right? So you're you're not making this better; you're making it worse for yourself. So using it that way is how I started to again do the same thing that other conversations around concepts of women's and personal safety and protection evolved. It's like there's stuff missing, particularly in the large percentage of the types of things that evolve into violent action against women. And that is, depending on whose numbers you read, 70 to 90% evolve with someone known to her. And then people automatically default to like full-on domestic or partner violence. And it doesn't have to be like we live together kind of a thing. It you know can be more casual known to her. But nonetheless, there's a social context then. So let's go. So the 80% is halfway between 70 and 90. So 80% of actions of violence perpetrated by somebody known to her. And so 80% of violence 
against women has a social construct just by nature of the fact that they know each other. And we go back to those original definitions, right? We're in a, we're in connection. Therefore it is social. However, in all the years of working as a psychotherapist and then doing this stuff and listening to stories of survivors, female survivors of domestic violence, sexual violence, blends of the two, et cetera, et cetera. There are a, a significant number of descriptions of these kinds of experiences that for them are asocial in how they were experienced. Like I'm, I have been, compl- I'm a toy, I'm a tool, I'm an object. Like when you are other using that phraseology for you are other than human. And so you're a resource or a, a toy. When that happens, you know it. It's very visceral. It's a very primitive internal warning flag that says, you know, danger, danger, Will Robinson, we have a problem. And, you know, it's the whole hair on the back of your neck or whatever, how you want to describe it. It's very primitive for us to detect when we are being hunted. Right. right? And that goes back to even like, there's a whole field that's looking into our behavior and our relationships to violence and all that kind of stuff. And our tribal behavior tied to evolutionary models even. So it's just, fascinates the fuck out of me. There's so much good stuff on there out there I'm running into. So so we have a capacity to go, I think I'm being hunted. Right. Instinct. And and so all of this, you know, it, anecdotal stories, research, you know, just understanding, you know, human behavior, all the the courses I've done and taken and workshops and training over the years. And then our conversations in the self-defense world, it's, it's like, okay, so how do we then describe? And the, I started to get these questions when I was doing women's self-defense workshops or just doing workshops, you know, like up there with you in Edmonton and then violence dynamics and other places where, you know, mixed populations, somebody go, well, how does this apply then to domestic violence? It was where the questions evolved out of initially, somebody would throw the DV flag and it'd be like, because immediately there, I had an, a visceral reaction of my own that went, huh, somewhere out think we thought it through to that level and that's not a not a fully accurate statement in and of itself you know it wasn't like it wasn't thought through right i don't i don't know i think i agree with what you're saying because like for example when it comes to domestic violence that like a lot of the core information that instructors give are you know, if you're not going to leave, I can't help you, or this is not within the scope of the conversation. So with those outs, there was no need to think deeper, right? It becomes mm-hmm. what I like to call thought ending cliches, right? I'll just say this cliche conversations donezo. Now we're going to move on, right? It's like that rather be uh, judged by 12 than carried by six. You say that you're like, well, I guess we don't got to think about this anymore. Yeah. And I really do think that when it comes to this, and one of the reasons I got excited at the course so many times was this, is that you took the questions like, wait a minute, I do want to answer that as opposed to, hey, that's not what we're talking about. Let's move on. And I'll never think about this again. And so if we followed that down the road, yeah. right, is that it's like, okay, how, how does how does this apply? We have, because there is a, by nature of it, like the raw, like, you know, you put soil in your hand, like that level of nature, like the raw nature of this thing has a social construct. So, and yet I have all of this anecdotal information as well as some not anecdotal, some, you know, research has been done into DV situations and evolution of that, where the 
the individual who feel who's the target of that in their description of the experience of the event, and we'll get to the actual violence in a minute, but is just the description of somebody very similar as far as the internal experience of somebody who was predatorily stalked, asocial, targeted, you know, like you're going to be my toy for three days, you know, whisked off into the white panel van, et cetera, right? So there's so many similarities for the target in what they experience. And, and then if we go pull out of like DV in its traditional sense, and we look at like, Oh, um, you know, and the language is evolving, but what traditionally we call date rape, right? So they're dating or there's a connection or we've gone out once or twice or whatever, and that evolves. And and then it shifts gears, right? She's like, oh, okay, far enough. And he's like, nope, we're taking this all the way to the finish line, whether you want to or not. So, and then when we talk to individuals and survivors in that situation, again, same experience, somewhere along the line, there's this internal experience that goes, whoop, and this it's not that anymore. Right. And it doesn't fit. Like there's, so where does it fit? So this was totally social and then, and then a switch flipped and now it's not. So it's, it was like, all right. So, and it's not, not social. It's not asocial, you know? So it's like, then this is where, this is the struggle, right? That was like, okay, we can't, we can't dismiss it out of hand, not with the statistics being what they are. And like, that would be, that's unethical. Like 80% of, you know, actions of violence perpetrated against women are perpetrated by somebody known to her. And we're going to go, yeah, we'll just talk about the 20. You know, we can do it because we have obviously done it traditionally within, in the profession because it's easier. The rest of it's not, it's just messy and hybrid therefore is messy because it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And I, you know, I had a conversation with a good friend um, about this, who knows this information intimately, and who was also just struggling with, I'm not sure I like this concept, and which is fine. And so he said, at one point in time, he said, so it's, so the person talking about our, our threat now is fun, is fun, is social, and then they flip a switch and they become asocial. I'm like, well, yeah, that's, and, right, or they could be functioning here internally, cognitively, cognitively inside of very social tribal, mm-hmm. and yet our target, their description is completely asocial. I think this brings to my first question on the model, which is exactly what you just said, is the way that I've seen it approach. So, you could include other things. We're focusing obviously on women's self-defense. That's your focus right now. But like you could throw terrorism into this hybrid column easily. Sure. Right. And so there's a lot of, I remember an instructor who uh, we're both very familiar with would say like domestic violence, terrorism, et cetera. These fall into like this weird gray area. And I'm thinking the same person you're talking about who has said this already, but again, just kind of pushed it to the side of like, well, so we're not going to talk about this. Right. It's not part of the scope of the conversation. Which again, as a presenter, if you're new, young presenters, that's a gold phrase. This is not in the scope of the conversation. Let me look that up later. That's a key thing. Don't lose that, <laughs> but then actually look it up later. So this then, when we speak about predatory violence, asocial violence, I use predatory. I like to say that, you know, the predator knows the goal the whole time and they could use social scripts to get the goal. So my question is, and I think it's just kind of rehashing what you said, but I just want to get it 
in my head is, and I'm sure it's not at always, but is this an intentional use of social scripts for a predatory goal? Or is it, as you said, like the person just kind of like two faces this, they like flip a coin and sometimes they're social and sometimes they're predatory. For the use of this language, I, I, I do separate it. So from a predatory perspective, if I am authentically hunting, then I know the goal from the beginning. And I'm going to use social patterns and interactions and, and the rules, you know, all the social contracts that we live within. I'm going to use those. And it's well, how do I say this? It may, it's deliberate. It may not be conscious. Like, let's see, which social tools shall I use this time? You know, in that sense, in, um, but it, it's, but it's very deliberate mm -hmm. and intentional for the end goal. Right. And I do hold that as distinct in whether we want to call it predatory or asocial or whatever, yeah. because, and, and then on the hybrid side, it, one permutation of it so it's like you know to go to baskin robbins do those still exist you know 31 flavors <laughs> of ice cream i don't even know if they still exist anymore but um it's all ice cream yeah <laughs> but it's different permutations of it from a flavor standpoint and so within the hybrid idea i think we've got different flavors so one is i'm i am functioning socially like there's a tribal context to my interactions with you i'm not functioning from a psychopathy perspective and and then and then there's a switch that flips right. for whatever reason and there's like laundry list of things we can go into about what would cause them to go i am being more predatory now right. and so i think that's one flavor of the ice cream i think another flavor of the ice cream is the the reverse so we talk about a predatory, asocial function ind individual who's hunting, right? So it's deliberate, it's intentional, conscious or not, you know, question mark, but it, there's a del deliberateness to those choices of using social contract and behavior. And so I think it's also deliberate, likely not terribly conscious for someone to use an asocial dynamic to get what they want inside of a social behavior and not be a sociopath, not be, you know, have psychopathology and full blown. It could be because we talk about like, for example, the dark triad, we've got narcissism, Machiavellianism, that kind of thing. And that I was super resistant to this for a while. Um, I'm coming around to the idea that some of the new research is pointing to a large percentage of people who function harmfully narcissistically do so as a product of like actual like trauma, childhood trauma and all that kind of stuff. And I've worked with a number of narcissistic individuals clinically. And so I went, I don't know, but that was my own resistance to like, don't give me empathy for this. I don't want it. Yeah. But I do think there's some, some truth to that. So then being narcissistic and um, seeing people as tools, and then those are, those become comps their compensations their coping mechanisms right. right but they're very we put them over here in a social land mm -hmm. right so but if if the if the new the sticks that are being poked at narcissism have any validity then they're a social tools right. being used by somebody who's not right so it can go both directions and then 
then the third big flavor is that currently like, and this is obviously an evolving conversation and eventually someday so that all of it may come together and go, well, this is bullshit. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> it's possible, right? Who knows? So it is, is more like we have somebody who's regardless of how they're weaponizing their behavior towards the target, the target feels like this feels asocial. And, and the easiest way to describe that is like in, in sexual violence, rape, particularly in a uh, acquaintance rape is I think the better current terminology, right? And, and all we have to do is look at all of the dynamics on college campuses and all the discussion around that. And we look at, you know, and, and I'm not excusing anybody's behavior, just looking at this clinically is that we've got somebody who was drank way too much responding to, you know, goading from frat brothers or whatever, right? And cross a huge line mm -hmm. and sexually assault potentially, you know, equally drunk said female. Right. The our assailant, our perpetrator, is fucked up three ways from sideways. No question. Like all these things should not have happened. And you're thinking, but they're not hunting mm -hmm. the way like our traditional mindset of a rapist is now i'm not saying that that also is not true on college yes. campuses right but then if we talk to the target of that event whole completely feels asocial so this brings me to so i have like three questions i've been asked this is going to be two-parter people let's just accept that now